Well, since uh, George Washington, one of the common traditions of, of U.S. presidents as they're leaving office is to give a, a farewell address. Uh, it's, it's been their way of speaking to the nation at least one more time and summarizing uh, what they hope to be their legacy, uh, imparting any final wisdom that they might have. Uh, but a lot of times what they do is they give a warning to the nation of what they need to look ahead to and be a, on guard against. Uh, we have here in Mark 13 uh, a farewell address of sorts from Jesus. Uh, other theologians and commentators have called this, this moment with the disciples uh, the Olivet Discourse. Because where they are, they're sitting on the Mount of Olives, which, which was just east of the city of Jerusalem, and they're looking directly back at the temple and at the city. It, it for sure would have been for them an, an astounding view of the city and really of the temple. Uh, this week for Jesus has been quite the week. Uh, he has entered Jerusalem at the beginning of this week, uh, riding on a donkey to the applause and the adoration and the praise of the, of the people. He, he's driven out money changers from the temple. Then he spent the last few days sparring with Pharisees and with Sadducees and with scribes. Here we are now only a couple days away from Jesus' arrest and his trial and execution. And so this is a, a time for him to, to spend with his disciples before his death. So we have a, a fairly intimate discussion Recorded here by, by Mark between Jesus and his disciples. Really, it's a teaching of Jesus to his disciples. But it's a final word that Jesus gives to them of, of, of warning to what is ahead of them. It's, it's a final charge to remain faithful in the face of trials and persecutions and calamities which are coming their way. Chapter 13 centers around the, the future uh, or, or the end of the age. It looks ahead to what is coming. Now, now, Scripture never shies away and has never shied away from speaking into these things of that which is to come. Jesus certainly never avoids the, the topic and, and speaking of these things. That's the entire discourse on this Mount of Olives. We're going to tackle part one this week and then the latter part of it next Sunday. So he never shies away from this, this as, he, as he sits down with his disciples on the Mount of Olives and, and speaks to them this prophetic word of what's to come. In fact, Scripture speaks of these things. The entire book of Revelation is, is given to instruction on the end times. But, but can we agree here um, that there's mystery to this as well? That, that when speaking of, of, of things that, that our eyes have not yet seen, it's going to be difficult for us to fully grasp all that Jesus is speaking of and, and all that Scripture points forward to. Uh, just the other day, I came across this, this video. It was recorded in 1994 of the anchors on the Today Show, and, and it was them talking about email and the Internet. All right, obviously, in 1994, email was a pretty new thing, and the internet was just finally starting to get talked about. And, and as they're talking about this with each other, like their minds were just blown by this thing. As they were trying to understand, like, what, what is e email? Like, what, what's this internet thing? It's one of, one of them asked here, what's this internet that everybody's talking about? And at the end of one of their segments, they, they threw up on the screen an email address that people could now write to if they had further questions or, or comments, which then turned with them having another five minute back and forth on the show uh, on how the email address, like, that doesn't make any sense to them. 
right? So one of the guys was reading, like, email, email today at, at NBC, period, C-O-M dot C-O-com. And, and they're saying all these things with these bewildered voices. And they start, why is there an at in, in the middle of those words? Now, we today, in 2023, look back at email as something that's almost out of date, and, and, and to us, something that's not, that's not too confusing of what email is, and pretty much everyone now understands what the internet is. But to them, back then, in 1994, they'd never seen this. And, and so they were having trouble comprehending and understanding, even as information was coming out of what it is, they were still like, what? I don't understand it. See, Jesus here is speaking of, of things well into the future. Scripture speaks of, of things that, that have not yet occurred. And so there's, there's going to be a, for lack of a better word, a, a murkiness around some of these things, which, which means as we approach them, as we approach Mark 13, there, there's going to need to be humility and there's going to be, need to be charity toward others as we, as we wrestle through it. But at the same time, we want to understand that that, that Jesus had a main idea, a main theme, a main point, a main aim that he was trying to get across. Scripture has a, a main aim of what it's trying to get across when it speaks of things yet to come. A revelation was, was written to be an encouragement to the church, right? An encouragement to the church because it, it speaks not only of what is to come and the tribulation, the difficulty of, of what the church was going to walk through, but it also points to the overwhelming victory of Christ over sin and death. It was, it, was, it was written to be an encouragement to the church as they suffered. And yet throughout church history, it becomes divisive. What, what was meant to be encouraging becomes divisive within a church because Christ, Christ followers are missing the main point. And instead arguing with others over the, the secondary issues, the tertiary issues, over timelines and who people are in, in the story. And it's not that it's not worth digging into. It's not that it's not worth studying those things out. But, but if it's dividing the church rather than unifying the church around the lordship of King Jesus over sin and over death, then we're missing the point. The only thing that is divisive in scripture is the gospel. Because the gospel is calling us out for who we are. We are rebels. We are sinners. We are traitors in need of redemption, in need of salvation that doesn't come from you, but comes from Christ alone. So repent and turn to, to, in faith to Christ. That's divisive. The disciples here in our, our text before us are, are, are asking a question. They're asking a question to Jesus of, when will the end Come. They're asking a question about the consummation of history, the end of the age. And instead, Jesus gives them an answer to the question that they really should ask. The question really we must ask ourselves as we, as we journey through Mark 13. And that question is, how do we remain faithful to Christ in the midst of a broken and sinful world? I, I really believe that's what Jesus is getting at here. R rather than worrying about the when, it's, how, how do I keep my eyes fixed on you, Jesus? Like I said, this is a, a farewell address of sorts. Jesus is not going to be physically with his disciples for much longer. And so what do they need to hear from him so that they remain faithful as disciples, remain faithful as followers of his? How do they keep their eyes fixed on him? And, and what's going to be ahead of them that's going to seek to deceive them? to distract them from their mission, to draw them away from the beauty and the worth of Christ. 
It's what we need to ask and hear as well. And so let's dig into our text this morning. There's four warnings that Jesus gives us in these 23 verses. Four warnings that he gives his disciples here of what lies ahead. The, the first is seen right when they're, they're coming out of the temple. So in, in, in chapter 13, look at the first couple verses again. It says, and as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So one of the first things we need to ask here is, what's Jesus talking about? Right? What, what's he have in mind here? What is Jesus referring to in this response to one of his disciples say, look at how beautiful the temple is. And he says, they're all going to be crumbled to the ground. What's he talking about? And here's where people even begin to differ somewhat. Right? Ch- chapter 13 is, is probably the most difficult chapter in the Gospel of Mark to go through and to understand. Uh, brilliant theologians throughout church history have differed on this even for centuries. So some believe Jesus is, is only speaking of the destruction of the temple that's going to occur in, in the year 70 AD. But, but others argue, no, he's, he's only speaking here of the end of the age. He's speaking of his second coming. So, so my, my card's on the table. I, I do think there's a third option. I think he's speaking of both. I, I think he's addressing the, the destruction of the temple in, in response to what they were just saying about the temple. And so he's addressing what's going to take place in, in, in just a few decades away, in the year 70 AD. But I, he's prophesying its destruction. And, but he's using, I believe, the temple here as a foreshadowing or a preview of his second coming at the end of the age. That The Old Testament prophets spoke this way and taught this way and prophesied this way all the time. The Old Testament prophets would prophesy about far future events that would take place after everyone they were speaking to would no longer be alive, but they would speak of these events that would take place, things that would happen centuries later, but they would use near future events as well that many would see with their own eyes as a way of a a type or a foreshadowing of what they're speaking to as well. And, And God does this, I believe, to help bring levels of clarity as we seek to wrestle with what is still to come. And so Jesus here uses the destruction of the temple that that will occur in 70 AD, an event that is still yet to come, but his disciples would would see this with their own eyes to help them and to help us better understand the nature surrounding his second coming, which is obviously still yet to come. And and so the disciples in a a moment, they're going to ask the when. They're going to ask the when question. When will this happen? They're going to ask about signs. What signs will be so clear than Jesus that we can't miss when this is about to take place, right? So they're, they're asking here in a second, like they, they almost want a year. They, they want to give me a calendar date. They want a clear, unmistakable signs. But as we heard read, Jesus doesn't give them a, a date, does he? And why is that? In, in his answer to them, he's inferring that, guys, you're asking, you're asking the wrong question here. It's not about the when, right? Just like the disciples, we, we don't need to worry and to concern ourselves with signs and wonders and, and timelines. Don't, don't worry about the when. I think Jesus tries to instruct his disciples and us to say, instead, concern yourself about the heart. Concern yourself about the heart as you endure. 
This, this is why I think we see in, in the first two verses, Jesus' first warning, which is this, don't trust in the things of this world, hope in God. Don't trust in the things of this world, okay? Hope in God. See, Jesus is, and the disciples, they're, they're leaving the temple grounds. The temple was a spectacular sight to behold, for sure. All right, it, it was one of the great architectural wonders of the world at that time. Uh, see here on the screen a, a model of what the temple would have looked like. Right? It's just brilliant. It was, a, uh, it was built with these large white stones that were overlaid with gold. The, the foundation stones that the disciples here in verses 1 and 2 are talking about, they would have been about the size of, of a boxcar. Just, just massive. And, and so the disciples, they're, they're leaving this ground. They're leaving the temple where, where Jesus has been sparring with the religious leaders. And the disciples are leaving this, and they're more awestruck by, by man-made creation than they are or that they were in the creator of man himself. They, they were walking and speaking with the, the word made flesh, right? The eternal word who the gospel of John says was with God from the beginning, right? The one whom all things were, were made through and made for, the one who gave life to all. Like he is in their midst and yet their eyes were fixated on some rocks that looked pretty. What's the warning here? Don't put your hope in the things of this world. Jesus says, you see these, these beautiful rocks, these stones, they're going to be destroyed. God's not impressed by man-made effort. Man's best efforts, which the physical temple would have been, doesn't impress God at all. Your best effort to attain God's acceptance doesn't move the needle at all. Like nothing in all of creation is more impressive than the God who made it. And so don't put your hope in earthly things. Put your hope in God who reigns over it all. The psalmist says that some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. See, Jesus speaks here of a, a coming destruction upon this temple. And so even here, Jesus says, your hope cannot be in this building. Your hope must be in me. I am the true temple, right? Don't take your eyes off of me. Even as beautiful as the world may look, don't take your eyes off of me. I made it all. See, this interaction as they're, they're leaving the temple is what causes then four of the 12 disciples, Peter, James, uh, John, and Andrew, to ask, okay, so when's this going to happen, Jesus? When, when will the temple be destroyed? When will the end of the age come? The disciples connected those two together. The destruction of the temple, they, in their minds, meant, must mean the end of the age. So when is this going to take place? And so Jesus gives them another warning. We see this in verses 5 through 8. He says, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And, and when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginnings of the birth pains. And so Jesus' second warning is, listen, deception is coming, but do not be troubled. Deception is coming, but do not be troubled. See, the disciples are assuming that the destruction of the temple, which Jesus was talking about here, that that, that automatically means that the, the final consummation of history, that the kingdom is established. 
They, they weren't thinking in their minds in this moment that there would be this long time between these two events, which is the destruction of the temple that took place in 70 AD and then the return of Christ, which, which the church still eagerly anticipates and awaits. And so Jesus doesn't, again, address timing, but he knows that the destruction of the temple, will, which will be catastrophic, is going to cause me to think the end is here. But, but he's, he's saying to them, <clears throat> it's not. It's not here. And so as Danny Aiken in his commentary says, listen, he, he says, Jesus is using the coming destruction of the temple and Jerusalem as a type or foreshadowing of end time events, meaning that the imminent destruction of the temple is the lens through which we should view the distant destruction of this present evil age and the return of the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus. So what Jesus is drawing their attention to is, <clears throat> is just the reality of life in a broken world. That, listen, guys, wars are going to happen. You're, you're going to see destruction of this. That, that's, that's life in a fallen, broken, sinful world. Natural disasters, guys, are going to take place. There's going to be earthquakes Listen, there's going to be severe famines. People are going to starve. There's going to be destruction taking place in this world. It's the result of sin. And so he pulls them aside and says, when you see these things happening, right, don't, don't be alarmed. Don't be misled. Don't be deceived by these horrible things. This is, this is life. This is the result of sin, all right? This is why he's saying, don't be troubled by these things. And what's going to take place is that there's going to be many who are going to weasel their way up and they're going to use these catastrophic events and they're going to try and use them to draw people away because people are going to be panicking and thinking the world's coming to an end. And so someone's going to come to the, the top and say, come follow me. And it's going to lead them astray. Have we not seen that throughout human history? How many false prophets, how many cult leaders have used the scariness of life, the uncertainty of life in a, fallen, in a fallen world to deceive people to come follow them so they can control them, so they can abuse them, so they can take advantage of them, have power over them. People in the midst of catastrophe are looking for hope. And so Jesus pulls his disciples aside and says, expect this. This is gonna, don't be alarmed and don't be deceived by those who try to lead you away from me. I can almost see Jesus sitting his disciples down on the Mount of Olives, having them overlook the temple. He says to them, this is going to be destroyed. And it's going to be devastating. And it's going to be ugly. It's the result of sin. It's not going to get any better. It'll progress more and more. This is life in a fallen, sinful world. But don't be alarmed. Don't be troubled. Don't be led astray. Don't be deceived. These things must take place as human history progresses toward the, toward the birth of the established kingdom of God. He says these are, these are the birth pains, right? For, for those who have had children, right? Before the beauty of a newborn child, before the, the awesomeness of holding that newborn baby in your arms, before that moment comes, there's pain. This is what Jesus is warning of before the, the kingdom is established, there's going to be pain. So don't be misled. Don't be deceived. Similarly, Jesus' third warning to them is persecution is coming. So be on guard. This is what we see in, 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 in 9 through 13. He says at the beginning of 9 to be on guard. Why? Well, because those next few verses say that, listen, you guys are going to be tried before the courts. 
You're going to be held before the council. You're going to be beaten. You're going to be arrested. You're going to be thrown in jail. Some will even be killed for the sake of the gospel. I said at the beginning this morning, the gospel is divisive. And we see that here in verses 12 to 13. Brother will deliver brother over to death. The father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, this isn't a picture Jesus gives them of life getting any easier. This isn't a picture of life getting any easier for us today as followers of Jesus. So what's he say? He says, be on guard. No, this is, this is going to happen. Remain faithful. Keep your eyes on me. In fact, Jesus is saying that, that persecution is actually going to be necessary for the, for the gospel to progress, right? For the gospel to move to the nations, Isn't that what we see happening in verse 10? He says, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. See, you see, the persecution of the early church is what caused the church to scatter among the surrounding nations. Because the early church was mostly mostly centered around Jerusalem in those early days. The believers were, were staying there, and so the gospel was not expanding, was not multiplying as much. It wasn't growing, being advanced. So how's God caused the gospel to spread? Through persecution. Exactly what Jesus said. In, in Acts 6, 7, and 8, we read of the story of, of Stephen. He was a disciple that scripture says was filled with grace and with power, and he was doing amazing works among the people. Well, in Acts 6, he's, he's arrested for proclaiming Christ risen from the dead. He's brought before, says, the, the council to stand, stand trial. So in Acts 7, we have this, this record of Stephen preaching and proclaiming the, the risen Savior, of condemning the religious leaders for rejecting Christ and for putting him to death. And so what is their response? Not repentance, drag him out and let's kill this guy. So they, 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 they murder uh, Stephen. They stone him to death in the sight of all. But what takes place in the very next chapter in Acts 8? Persecution, it says, comes against the church which results in its spreading. Listen to Acts 8 verse 1. It says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. That's what he's saying here in Mark. The gospel must be proclaimed to all nations, and persecution is going to spread that. Jesus tells his disciples, and we hear these words today, persecution is to be expected. So guard your hearts. Again, that you remain fixed on him. Guard your hearts that you remain faithful to Christ. But there's also great comfort given in verse 11, isn't there? It says, don't be anxious. Why? Because he's with us. He says, the Holy Spirit will be there. It's going to give you the words to speak in those moments. The Holy Spirit's given to encourage and to strengthen and to uphold you. When Jesus ascended to the Father in Matthew 28, he says, uh, go make disciples. But he says, behold, I am with you. Till when? To the end, right? I'm with you. So we're, we don't need to be anxious when persecution comes. We remain faithful and keep our eyes fixed on Christ. The final warning for us today is seen in verses 14 through 23. The warning he gives is that great tribulation is approaching, so be watchful. 
Up to this point, Jesus has been speaking primarily of, of a near future event of the destruction of the temple in 70 AD and then the scattering of the church to the nations because of intense persecution. And, and I believe it's here, and we'll get into this a little bit more next week as well, but it's here that we begin to see a, a blending, I, I believe, of these two events, the, the destruction of the temple and, and the events surrounding his, his return. All right, this is where Mark 13, I think, begins to get a little murkier. So let's try and break this down as best we can. Uh, Jesus uses the phrase uh, in verse 14, abomination of desolation. And, and then in the verses following this, uh, this event causing people, this abomination causes people to abandon their homes and leave their possessions behind and, and flee. Uh, think of it here as, as uh, like, like if your house were on fire, right? You get your kids and you get out of the house. You leave everything behind, right? Jesus says, when you see this, this abomination of desolation standing where, where it ought not to be, standing where he ought not to be, and then it says in parentheses, let the, let the reader understand. It's, it's, a, it's a phrase that's used in the book of Daniel three different times, in Daniel 9 and Daniel 11 and Daniel 12. Now, as Daniel talked about this abomination of desolation, uh, he was talking and looking to this future day when there would be this individual that'd be standing where he ought not to be and, and bringing this unthinkable devastation and destruction, which is going to cause this unbelievable suffering. Now, now, throughout history, there's been at least two instances where this prophecy in Daniel was, was, was being fulfilled, this abomination of, of desolation. N- number one first happened in 167 BC, a Syrian by the name of uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. He entered the temple. Uh, he sacrificed a, a pig on the altar of burnt offerings, and then he set up an altar to Zeus. Now, if you know anything about the Jewish sacrificial system, that was an abomination, an abomination. And this act caused the Jewish people to revolt. It's what what caused the Maccabean revolt. But but Jesus here, I believe, gives another fulfillment of this prophecy of this abomination of desolation, primarily as he looks to the destruction of the temple that we've talked about that would take place in the year 70 AD when the Roman general Titus destroyed all of it. It was burned to the ground. So can you imagine what the Jewish people felt as they saw the temple as grand as it was, as wonderful as it was, the center of Jewish worship burned to the ground? But, but I believe here Jesus also had in mind a, a third fulfillment of this prophecy that, that pointed still further ahead to the great tribulation that precedes his future return as king. Again, remember what Danny Aiken was saying. He said that the temple here is, 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 a, is a type or a foreshadow of these future events yet to come. And so we as a church are still awaiting the return of Jesus. And, and so what, what's going to happen until that glorious day? Well, we're, we're in the birth pains. Trouble and suffering and persecution and deception. Many things and many people still rising up trying to draw our eyes off of Christ. And so just as horrible the the devastation overtook the the temple in 70 AD, this abomination of desolation that Jesus talks about here, it it also is looking forward to the catastrophic events that, that will begin to unfold even prior to the return of Christ. 
And, and then as the Apostle Paul speaks of this as well in his letter to the church in Thessalonica, he says in 2 Thessalonians 2 that this man of lawlessness or the Antichrist will, who will ascend to power will do many scandalous deeds, many blasphemous deeds, and will unleash terrible tribulation, terrible persecution upon the people of God. And so Jesus, in speaking to the disciples here about the events to unfold a few decades later, still speaks to us today these same words of warning. Hope in God. Don't be troubled. Be on guard. Don't be deceived. Be watchful. These are but the birth pains, but yet the birth of the new kingdom is coming. So keep your eyes fixed on him. Hope in him. See, what's he say in verse 23? He says, I'm, I'm telling you all of this beforehand. Why? To remain faithful. So you keep your eyes fixed on him. Church, we, we are awaiting the return of King Jesus. Until then, what can we expect? Hardship, trial, and suffering. So what should we do? Eagerly anticipate his return. How's Revelation end, right? Even so, come, Lord Jesus, right? The church is, is, is looking to say, please, come, return, and finish what you have begun. So we are to eagerly anticipate his return. We are to remain faithful, but don't worry because he's with us through it all. And that we as the church pray, pray zealously, earnestly for the gospel to go out to all nations. Church, would you pray with me this morning? God, we come to you here um, wanting to heed these warnings of Christ. Uh, Father, I, I, the, the, the temptation so often for us is we, we live in a, a fairly comfortable bubble. Uh, we're not faced with the same level he, uh, personally here of the persecution that these, these brothers and sisters in the other church felt, but we, we know that persecution is alive and well in the world today, that there are brothers and sisters who are enduring horrific uh, persecution and suffering and oppression around the world today. God, we know that even the culture in which we live here in, in the West, in, in America here, is, is becoming even more and more anti-Christ. And so, Father, we, we know that, that, that we live in a, a broken and fallen world. So, Father, when calamity strikes, when trouble comes, when suffering uh, presses down on us, when tribulation rears its ugly head, may we, may we not take our eyes off of you. May we not be led astray to hope in in, in something other than God, to hope in the things of this world rather than to hope in God. And so God, may we remain faithful to, as, as disciples of Christ. As we're sent here in just a few moments, may we, may we understand what our mission is as, as believers, that this is not just about going home and, and, and living nice, cozy, comfortable lives uh, blocked off and, and set apart from the rest of the world, but that we are to be uh, in the world, but not of it. And so, God, may we, may we strike up those, those relationships with neighbors, with family, with friends. God, to show them, to reveal to them the beauty and the hope of Christ above all. God, this is what the church is to be. And so help us, because we cannot do this on our own. We need your spirit uh, at work and alive, moving through us. And so, God, as we now turn our affections and our attention to you, uh, may we lift up our voices in praise and worship to a God who reigns. A God who, who uh, is, is over sin, is over death, and a God who is still yet to return. 
that you have not forgotten us, you have not abandoned us, but you are returning. So even today, we cry out, come, Lord Jesus. We pray this all in Christ's name, amen.